So welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the No Good People podcast, a weekly journey into the colorful conversations I have with my friends and family, acquaintances and strangers who eventually become my friends. As you know, I stockpile great stories and many memoirs of the people I admire, hoping to give life to their words and ideas and everyday musings, where my platform is really the best seat in the house. Tonight's guest is a speaker, author, and thought leader. Her first book was an anthology of sisterhood, which was an award-winning anthology that gave her team an opportunity to produce or provide a total of 22 women author credentials. Her second release was a devotional entitled Prayers from a Grateful Heart. Um, she is has been on a whirlwind tour nationwide with her books and speaking and live engagements prior to COVID-19. Um, her, her and her co-author um, have done also a scholarship um, that awards young women from high school an opportunity um, to continue their education. Good. I have known her for more than 27 years um, when we attended school together when I was a graduate student and she was an, a collegiate at the University of Georgia. We have been friends for a very, very long time and it feels like, um, like lifelong friends. Um, so without further hesitation, I introduce you all to L.D. Wells, but I call her Nisi, <laughs> who is very dear to my heart. So welcome Nisi. How are you? I'm so glad to be here with you, not just for this platform, but just to share heart to heart with you because you are a huge piece of my heart. And I'm just thankful for this time to be with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where are you from? Where are you born? I know you're a native of, of Georgia, but where are you from? And tell mm -hmm. me what, what about that place makes Nisi Nisi? Oh my gosh, I am what you call an official Georgia peach. <laughs> I'm a Grady baby. Um, those of us who are from Atlanta, we know what that is. Um, Grady Memorial Hospital back, I won't tell my age, but at the time that I was born, like that was a thing. That's how you knew you were from Metro Atlanta and not one of the suburbs. Um, but born and raised right here, uh, Metro Atlanta, um, matriculated through schools here in the Atlanta public school system and made my way down to UGA for undergrad. So yeah, from here, born and raised. And where are you and your family? Like your youngest, oldest? I am the oldest. Yeah, I'm my parents' first child. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Has that um, been, have you taken on that role for many other things like being the oldest? Has that kind of mm -hmm. defined who you are? So I don't know if you're into numerology or any of that kind of stuff, but not only am I the firstborn, I'm also born March 1st. So I got a lot of ones that are lining up there. And so um, I'm a little bossy. I'll just go ahead. <laughs> Those ones do line up. I would like to say that it's leadership. Amen. It's, it's leadership. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do kind of take the reins, whether it's in my family, whether it's at work, even with friends. If, you know, we're having a difficult time deciding, I'll decide for us. I, I, okay. I know the answers. It, in my mind, anyway, I know the answers. <laughs> and where did you grow up? Um, I grew up just right in Metro Atlanta. Um, I went to... Morris Brandon Elementary School. We like to brag that it was um, it was a red ribbon school, which was a, a really high distinction or blue ribbon. I think it was blue ribbon. 
okay. high in Atlanta. Um, and then I went to Sutton Middle School, which is right across the street, like smack dab across from Chastain Park, if that kind of helps you understand where that was. So um, I grew up kind of um, in the middle of Buckhead. And then by the time it was time to go to high school, I was like, Ma, I, can, can I go to school with the people who live closer to me? And at that time, I didn't know anything about districting. Mm -hmm. But we lived in the 30318 zip code and they had not drawn the lines the way that they are drawn today. And so you could really very easily move between schools and go kind of anywhere you wanted to. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> what are some of your like best memories growing up as a child in Atlanta? Oh man, I just remember, and, and you know, again, for the kind of schools that we were in at that time, um, there was a lot more focus on the arts, but I just remember there was more of a dedication to those of us who were a little more artsy fartsy and, and understanding that we needed to get that out, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I know the schools are, are struggling or suffering now. Um, those are more specialized programs if, if the school has it at all. Some schools don't have some of those things now. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I grew up also as what the school called a gifted child. So I was in the gifted program, but keep in mind, it was the 70s. I don't think I really understood that I was helping to integrate some of the schools that I was going into at that time as well. Like it just wasn't on my radar. I didn't feel like that's what was happening. But as you look back at what was going on, it absolutely was. Same with things like gifted program. Um, that was kind of new on the horizon. And we were doing things like origami. <laughs> like <Okay. laughs> you, you went to a special class to do origami because you were gifted, you know. Um, and so I, I love that we've had a huge progression in how we think of what it means to be a gifted child and what um, experiences they need to be exposed to. Mm -hmm. But I do remember also um, what I started trying to say is the schools that I attended, we had amazing field trips. Uh, we had amazing opportunities to uh, learn about food and culture and uh, a lot of more specific things that I don't know that children get to do anymore in the school system. So I, I think we've lost some things in trying to make sure that um, grades are calculated in a particular way and standard um, standardization is met, but I, I think we've lost some things too. So do you find that um, that because of these gifted programs that really kind of sparked your interest in writing? For sure. Well, I was that kid who I was always making a list. You know, I, I like to write a journal. I like to write the grocery list. <laughs> I like to write what it is that we need to do. each. You know, I just like to write down. I found that to be a way that I kept track of everything I needed to track. And I didn't realize at the time that it meant that I was a writer. I just thought I was being organized, you know, or, or keeping things written and checking things off. Okay. Okay. Well, you are yeah. incredibly organized. <laughs> I've seen your closet. You're incredibly organized. By color. Yeah. By color. That's right. I wasn't going to say it, but you said it. <laughs> it is still by color. It helps me. I, it must because I was completely overwhelmed by that. I was like, okay, maybe I should try this when I get home. Probably not. 
Um, so, so that kind of sparked your interest in writing. Were you doing books even in high school? Were you writing like your own stories or poetry in high school as well too? I was writing poetry. If, if you were someone that I um, had eyes on, you know, if you okay. were a little boy that I was interested in, there's probably a poem somewhere about you. <laughs> um, but I did a Hilarious. lot more. Yeah, I did a lot more of just journaling. Uh, back then I wanted to capture school, like made me feel alive. Like I didn't want to miss a day. So mm -hmm. like even when I, I was mad, if I was sick because I wanted to go, right? Uh, I think I had perfect attendance for, for most of my time in school. Um, but I would journal and capture even like what outfits we had on that day. Oh, uh, if, if, yeah, if someone had on something that I thought was amazing, I would write that down. You know, Vera Today had on um, Jabot jeans, the new Jabot jeans with the zippers on the side. I want a pair of those, you know. And um, I, I would write, of course, you know, I thought I was pretty cute because I was wearing this. And then I saw this and I would just really kind of capture um, so that I could always go back and look at what's happening. Like what, mm -hmm. what we do, you know, it was like a time capsule for me. And I think I still have some of those journals somewhere. Um, I'm sure you do. Yeah, I still have some of them. They're probably cute stories if I wanted to spend some time with them. <laughs> yeah, and that's a way to kind of, you know, like you, we talked about earlier, like documenting your memoirs, right? So you don't have to look very far because you probably can just, look back at some dates and years and mm -hmm. recall things, which is great, right? Because yeah. it's an opportunity for you to kind of relive those moments and relive those experiences or the feeling that you had at those moments, which is pretty awesome. For sure. Which is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I really want to talk about, because um, I've known you for such a long time and you're such a sweetheart um, and so genuine and so honest and and selfless and giving and devoted to, you know, the people and passions um, that are important to you. And even those that aren't, you're still very incredibly committed and devoted to them. So, you know, I wanna talk about um, your books and what, what led you to, um, to write what you write about um, and why is it so important for you to get that message out to everybody? Well, you're being very modest by not admitting that you helped me <laughs> and my uh, line sister Fran uh, push out birth that first book. Thank you for your chapter, the Vermilion chapter, um, that made it uh, a possibility to put this out in the earth. And so thank you for that. Fran approached me. I think she was working on her dissertation at that time. And um, she was like, hey, what are you doing? You know, like just like we were talking about getting some grits or something to eat, you know? <laughs> like, what are you that doing? sounds like so much Fran. <laughs> you know, and so um, she was like, Let, let's do this book. And so she told me what she was thinking about. And, you know, um, I took her initial thoughts and conceptualized them in a way that uh, we could kind of move forward and kind of, um, you probably remember my color-coded timeline. <laughs> that we had to adhere to. I was like, well, if we're going to meet this date, it needs to be by um, the centennial celebration for our sorority um, so that it'll make sense. And we just kind of put it together in that way. She and I, because we're line sisters and we've got, uh, at that time, we had 20 some odd years of knowing each other's thoughts and, and, and how we moved in the earth. And so uh, it was very easy for us to just kind of have a dynamic that we were able to work off of together and then pull you guys into that. 
um, to create what is now an anthology of sisterhood. And so uh, it was organic. We like to say she starts it and I finish it. And same as um, she's the first chapter of the book, I'm the last chapter of the book. So we keep that thing kind of going as well. We're, we're a nice one-two punch. So people that don't know about Anthology of Sisterhood, tell us a little bit more about it. So what it is, is a compilation of short stories. It's poems. There's even a sermon in there. And um, we wanted it to be, again, in line with our sorority centennial celebration of 100 years. And that was Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And so um, as we were pulling folks together, we thought, um, let's have 22 women um, to pay homage to the original 22 women who founded the sorority. So we knew we wanted 22 authors and we needed 20 women other than the two of us to make that happen. Um, very, we wanted to be very intentional about a lot of the pieces. And I think that's kind of um, why it has been successful because of all of the intention that was put behind it. You had to be a Delta in order to be a contributor. But as you know, we, we challenged folks, please don't just talk about Delta. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, we want any person, male, female, whomever that picks up this book to really hear stories of sisterhood, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. um, you may have some pledge experiences in there. I know I do. But um, there are folks who also wrote about the struggle or the friendship or the foundation that's created when maybe you survive cancer together, the sisterhood that's formed mm -hmm. in, in those scenarios. Um, we, I wrote poems to my baby sister who is not Greek at all, but she was my first introduction to sisterhood. Um, one of my line sisters who's also a contributor wrote poems to her brother because even though he's male, he taught her the ideals of what sisterhood is so that she would be able to recreate those with women. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, there's some sisterhood of the saints kind of things that are in there too, that have more of a churchy feel. And so we really wanted to cover the topic. We really wanted to show, especially, you know, with uh, reality TV and a lot of the things that are kind of out there in media that women dot, 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 black women could come together and do something uh, that was uh, really profound and prolific um, and, and unified in a unified way. So that's the impetus behind the book. You know, and, and what I appreciated most about it was giving voice, right? Because so often people and women and black women in particular um, don't have a platform right? Don't see themselves beyond what has been prescribed for them, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. they certainly don't get opportunities, yeah. right? Because sometimes it really, you know, I, sometimes when you look at things, it comes down to the haves and have nots. And so I appreciated the fact that so many people and so many women on very different spectrums in their relationships, in their careers, in their journey as Deltas, right? Because, you know, some were collegiate made, some were um, alumni made, but again, the having the opportunity presented to them and the fact that everyone took that opportunity and said, yes, yeah. really incredible. Yeah. And it gave them a platform to be great and greater. And then to have that, um, you know, to have that on their resume, to say that I'm an author, I'm a writer, right? And, and never even really imagine themselves as such. 
other than just scribbling down some thoughts or, you know, a Facebook post or, you know, something. Um, but here it was that this was an opportunity for them to do that and be greater than they knew they could be. Uh, yeah. And that was one of the intentions as well. Fran and I really crafted out and um, we said it's important to us that they all have author credit, uh, that they all be listed as um, actual contributors. Everyone have their own chapter. And then you never really see this in anthologies, but we also went a, an additional step by adding the photo and the bio of the person's chapter so that before you read her work, you know a little bit about her and her mm -hmm. voice and where she's coming from. We really wanted to be intentional on that front too and, and make it be a project that anyone could be proud of if they were participating. And we hope that that's <laughs> what, what happened. And you're right, because you don't typically see that in anthologies, right? You just see a name um, and then that's it. Like you never, you have to actually spend, spend time Googling it or you just know the person that um, is the lead or the two co-authors or whatever the case may be, but you never really get to know the other individuals. Um, and so that was a really nice piece about it that, so it was very thoughtful, again, very thoughtful of both of you um, to make sure that you were as inclusive as you possibly could be. Absolutely. That was great. I'm in another anthology where I had to pay for a copy of the book. I'm, I'm just going to say it that way. <laughs> I'm in there, you know, woohoo. But I mean, you know, uh, everyone that's doing anthologies um, are not as, as, as the term you use as thoughtful. But we thought because this is a sisterhood, we did need to be different. Mm -hmm. But remember, you know, if we're always going to look at the bright side of things, you pay for it, but understand that it could be, it could come back to you tenfold, you know, a hundredfold. So, you know, make sure you DM me the name of the book so I can make sure that I support it because, you know, I want to make sure I support my peoples. <laughs> um, so, and, and then your next book. Mm. Talk about that with me, because that is really, I haven't, I haven't gotten it yet, so I'm not going to lie, but, um, but I do want to read it. Um, so I'm going to make sure that I get a copy of it. And before the end of this um, interview or conversation today, we are going to make sure that we let people know how they can get a hold of your books and support you. So tell me about it. Yeah. So um, I've always been a, a devout, um, well, I've been what I call a journalist uh, my entire life from where I was writing my own stories and capturing things. But I also love to um, do Christian devotionals. So I have a ton of them, you know, um, and I really get into ones that are leather bound and, you know, have a wonderful feel to them. But I know like a lot of other folks, there were things about a devotional that sometimes felt like what I call a chore, you know, because maybe it's too long um, for the time that you want it to set aside to devote to it. Right. And so you start and you stop or you don't finish or any of that kind of thing. Um, I've always paid a lot of attention to how devotionals were set up and what my preferences were. And I couldn't figure out how come no one had a devotional that allowed you to start the day you wanted to start. Because mm. if it's May and I buy a devotional because I, I fall in love with it at the bookstore and it says January 1, I got to wait until January to start or am I going to be off track? you know, that kind of thing. And so I, I always had that in the back of my mind, like, why don't they make a devotional that just says day one so that no matter when I buy it, I can start that day. And so that, that was living in the back of my mind. 
And then I went to um, a watch night service for the new year. And I remember the pastor at that time, um, Bishop Bronner here in Atlanta. Uh, I was in his congregation that night and he said, this year, do something for God. Doesn't matter what it is, how big or how small, but just do something for God. And I left um, that night with the intention, you know what? I am going to chronicle and just thank God for everything he has already done for me. I'm not going to ask him for anything this year, but I, I want to, in writing, I want to say, thank you, God, for this. And thank you, God, for that. And I'm going to do that every day and just be thankful and grateful. And um, it morphed and kind of turned into this notebook full of tears, <laughs> more tears than there were um, actual writing, but so many wonderful things that once you really start to thank God for a specific thing, you think of all of the other so minute, but so profound things that he has done for you. And it just organically becomes life transforming. I, I, I don't know how to say that any better than what I'm saying right now about that. Um, and so around August, I heard a still small voice say, this is your next book. And, you know, people have their thoughts about that. Some people believe God can talk to you. Some people think it's hogwash. You know, wherever you live with that, that's your business. <laughs> but for me, I know that there have been distinct moments where I've heard a small voice. And then I spent the next several years um, trying to make a 365-day devotional and failing to do that. And then in 2017, I was in a, a car wreck. I was hit by a tractor trailer. And that really sat me down in a way that you just, now you got to sit down and deal with the chronic pain and the things that are going on with your body that you can't do anything about, but let time heal. And so in, in my quiet moments, I started back working on this devotional, like, aha, you know, there's, there's this again, you can, you can pick, pick up on this because I had gotten so busy ripping and running and doing events and, and being here and being there and showing my face and, you know, all of the things that you do when your body is able to do those things. And when my body was no longer able, um, I found myself back with, and I don't know if that was divine, probably was, mm -hmm. um, get back to what it is that you have purposed in your heart that you haven't done. I started to feel defeated because an entire year, even after I had picked it back up again, an entire year had gone by again, and I still wasn't where I needed to be. And I started to cry and I was apologizing to God, you know, I just haven't been faithful with this, you know, help my inability to get this done. And I heard that same voice again say, why not make it 90 days instead of 365? Why don't you give people continuing in this framework of a nugget of a chunk? Um, you're trying to make something for people that won't be a chore for them, but it, you're making it laborious for yourself. And that's not ever what I put into your heart or in your spirit. And I, I lied to you not when I went back to my writings to see how much I had actually formatted and typed up in, in the book since I was at, 87. I think there were only three more entries I needed in order to be at 90. 
And so I had been fretting over something that was technically already complete. Already completed. And so um, I put it out there and, and it's, it's just what I said it is. It, you can start on the day that you want to start. Um, it has a small nugget where you are thanking God for something very specific. And it may even be something that you want to see happen. And you're calling it forth. Thank you, God, for fixing, you know, um, what's going on on my job. When you start it, there's a scripture reference. There is that nugget. And it's very short because I don't want you to get tired. I want you to be able to do it that day and then go on with your day. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's area for you to write if you, of course, want to take notes. But you start off in kind of a global sense. Thank you, God, that you love your children or, you know, uh, thank you, God, that, you know, you uh, care for us. And then there is a mantra at the very bottom of that page um, that makes it personal, where you go from the us, our, we to thank you, Lord, that you are saving me. Thank you, Lord, that you are um, caring for me. And so I thought it was it, it was very important to be again, very intentional about how that's set up. Each page is a one pager. Okay. One page per day. So again, you, it doesn't feel like a chore. It's a nugget, but it's an intense one where you're really getting at the heart of the matter. Not a lot of gibberish in there. You're going straight in. Thank you, God. And naming that thing. And so I, I think people will like it. I think people will um, appreciate the format. And I hope it blesses. I'm certain that it will. How long has it been on the market? I did an, an initial release in 2018, and then I didn't do anything else with it. Uh, I did not feel physically able to promote it in the way that it needed to be promoted. And it became overwhelming for me. And, you know, that's what I meant about it. It took me another year or so before um, I was able to move it forward the way that I wanted to. And so fast forward to today, um, I'm just now really feeling comfortable enough to um, travel with it, if you will. Okay. Okay. And do you feel like that was a lot of it was based on fear or do you feel like there was an unsettling or do you feel like you were waiting for another voice to say, promote now? No, I think honestly, it was just physically mentally, emotionally, um, my body, mind and soul and spirit have not been where I needed them to be to do what I needed to do. Okay. There was something about a tractor trailer hitting me. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain it to people, but it, that, that is life-changing in itself. Um, if anyone has ridden with me in the car since that happened, then they, they can tell you specifically what it is that I go through. If there's anyone who's had to walk anywhere with me or be with me for any length of time, they can tell you what it is that I've gone through. Um, and so I've just had to try to get myself back to me. And that's been a journey. Oh, I can understand that. I mean, that's very traumatic. Yeah. That's incredibly traumatic, you know, yeah. and just the fear or not fear, but, you know, wanting to have the confidence to get back in a car, right? To get to get to the state of wanting to be able to travel again, um, to leave your home, right? So uh, I can only imagine uh, the level of 
of courage that that would take to get back to being Nisi, right? Because you want to get back, and then and you're still and you're still not the person you were. You're still as, as amazing, but you're not the person that you were before the traumatic incident. Um, and the exhaustion, you know, it, mm -hmm. we've been blessed that our first book is still moving forward. It, it's still making waves, and and so there's the exhaustion of your regular workday this that you're doing on the side and now I'm exhausted and I haven't gotten to this yet. And it's a different kind of exhaustion when there's chronic pain mm -hmm. than, you know, I'm just tired. Yeah, so that's what we've been living with, sitting with. But um, COVID, now that we are home 24 seven almost, um, has created additional platforms like this one. Uh, where it's 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 incredibly easy now to do the things that I've always wanted to do. So um, I'm just thankful. I'm not thankful for COVID, but I'm thankful for the opportunity <laughs> to have online platforms that are incredibly helpful for people who are in my particular situation. So, you know, during you, you bring up COVID, you bring up the pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. what have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about yourself? I've learned two things. Number one, that I've been walking around ignoring some things in my house that needed to be taken care of. <laughs> so I'm on that same kick as everybody else. Let's do home improvement. But what I personally learned about myself is, you know, I, I thought I was pretty outgoing, pretty gregarious and, and that kind of thing. But I don't mind being alone. I like me, I like self-care. I like, I don't mind being alone. It, it hasn't. Uh, you know, because some people are stir crazy right now, like, oh, my God, I got to get somewhere. I'm not feeling like that, like mm -hmm. at all. Like, I'm very settled. I can be a homebody. And I didn't know that. And if you were to think about what you have um, gained during the pandemic, right? So, you know, you talk about the things that you learned about yourself. So what have you done with that? And what have you gained through this time, knowing that you like to be alone? Um, you know, things, you know, things like that. So there's a, um, a new framework I've set up for myself where early mornings, for some reason, I wake up really early. I go to sleep very early too. Uh, a lot of folks know that. Like if you text me at night, forget about it. I'll see it in the morning. <laughs> but I, I wake up very early, meaning like between three and five a.m because I no longer, I get hours back where I'm not having to go into work somewhere or be um, off site somewhere for something that's going on for work. Um, there are a lot of hours that accumulate that you get back. And so you're not as tired anymore because you know, you're home. And so those early morning hours, I now dedicate to um, a different level of meditation. And so I am, of course, doing devotionals, but I've added meditation to that. I've added um, listening to other thought leaders who are spreading the words of positivity, who are um, helping me to craft the life that I want um, through the meditation and, and, and the daily connection with God at a deeper level, at a higher level. And I'm seeing that as I declare particular things over my life and as I keep putting that positive um, 
information into, you know, my psyche, things around me are changing in ways like much more quickly now than I had the, the time or the, um, the ability to create for myself because I'm able to have that dedicated focused time because I, at 5 a.m. I normally would have been making coffee because I maybe had to travel somewhere in Georgia or something that I had to be at, you know, Willacoochee, Georgia or somewhere. <laughs> and so now that I don't have to do that, um, I get those hours back. And those hours, I, I am now very heavily dedicating to my spiritual edification. So do you think that's one of the reasons why your motto is, or one of your favorite mottos, maybe I should say, is give no less than you desire and accept no less than you require? Absolutely. Um, and I just, I'm tr- I've, I've been trying to remember like where I first interfaced with that, because I stole that from somebody from somewhere. It's, it's an unknown quote. I don't know who said it. But I saw it somewhere and, and then I said, ah, that, I, I want that for myself. I, I, I believe that very strongly. Um, and I'm trying in every interaction now to make sure that I am operating in a way that this is exactly what I would have wanted back from someone else. Mm. And then, and, and twofold, because I want to make sure that I'm doing right by other people. But I also want to set the tone for how I now want you to operate with me. So um, it's good that actually it's probably phenomenal that you're actually taking stock in that and saying what it is that you want, right? What is it you desire as opposed to putting someone else's desires ahead of your own? Absolutely. And then there's no second guessing or no mistaking or wondering about anything. Because Mm -hmm. if you ask for what you truly want in any given moment, then the other person either has to give it to you or say, I can't deliver. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to wonder, did they mean this or did the answer is there. So it takes all of that other stuff that we give ourselves grief about completely out of the picture. Mm -hmm. But it also allows you, I'm sure that if people are asking you of something that you can answer truthfully. Absolutely. Based on what you're own needs and your requirements are. So if someone says, Nisi, I need you to come and speak at something or do something X, Y, and Z, and you know that you already have plans, you don't necessarily have to accommodate because you just, because that's not your desire, right? Right. And so in essence, you are feeding your own desire because you can actually use a complete sentence of the word no. You don't have to necessarily give an explanation of why you can't do something because I know that I've had to learn to start doing that too. Like, nope, I can't do it. Yeah. I don't need to tell you why I can't do it. It's just that I'm not available at that time, right? And so that's a, that should be reason enough in and of itself. It is, but, but it also forces honesty. Yes. There's no middle ground. You can't play around. Either you can or you can't. You will or you won't. Right. And you are meeting your own desires, right? <laughs> you're recognizing them and you're meeting your own expectations and you fulfilled yourself worth like you're celebrating yourself by saying like no this is what I want this is what I desire this is what I require and this is who I am and you hope that people meet you where you are and and that's with people but get this it's also with the universe Mm -hmm. the spiritual realm I'm you know because we we just you know um yes God your will be done but God also says he would give you the desires of your heart Mm -hmm you have to speak it Mm -hmm. how many things are on your heart that you're hoping 
he just picks up on rather than just saying, I would love to have this and seeing what the universe brings back to you. Mm -hmm. And so what I've learned unequivocally is when you do that, it's as if the world opens up to give you exactly what it is that you call for. We just got to be bolder, wiser, and, and stronger about calling forth the things that we really desire. But now you got to make sure that's really what you want before you say it. Too. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And you got to be patient. <laughs> and you got to be patient. Yeah. Right? Because just because you want it. Now, right, right, right. Just because you want it now doesn't mean it's going to happen right now. But um, a lot more times than not, it can and it will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so tell me or tell us how we can get hands on this wonderful devotional. Okay. So um, everything is available on my website at ldwells.com. My books are also available on all of the major platforms online. So your Barnes and Noble, your Amazon, um, your books a million, all of them are going to carry both books. Um, I am on social media at I am LD Wells. And so um, that'll kind of help you stay abreast of kind of where I am, what I'm doing, what's going on. Um, And then the thing that I really want to talk about as it relates to purchasing is understanding that when you purchase either of these books, you are also contributing to the scholarship that you mentioned earlier which is the uh, Ruby D Legacy of Sisterhood Scholarship. Um, I I want to always make sure that I'm being very honest about that um, because I talked earlier about how the arts um, doesn't always have what it it used to have in the scholastic realm. And so we wanna come in and kind of meet that. And so that scholarship named after the late legendary Ruby D is set up to be there um, to help someone who's majoring in the humanities to finish their collegiate career. Um, There's always a lot of money sometimes for freshmen, Mm -hmm. but our scholarship is really hitting at those folks who are trying to finish their collegiate career. So you have to be a junior, a senior, or in grad school, because once that money runs out, you know, we want to come and kick in to help you finish strong, you know. And so when you buy an anthology of sisterhood, not only do you get the 22 chapters, but you also get a poem by Ruby D and the forward by Ruby D. And so um, when we asked her, how can we pay you back for this? Um, she said, pay it forward, just pay it forward. And if a Delta ever asks you to do something, say yes. <laughs> and those were her, her two things that she said for us. And so it seemed right, you know, once we started to um, have funding to come in to dedicate the scholarship to her for what she had done for us. And so the family agreed. And so what we do is um, it's through the Delta Research and Education Foundation, um, DREF for short. Um, They house the scholarship. You go onto their site. If you know folks who are interested, ask them to apply. The application season is open right now. I think the deadline is March 23rd. Um, And again, just a junior, senior, or uh, grad student uh, would be eligible for that. Um, and do they, um, can they be at any college or university? They can. Uh, we do have a preference for um, students who live or attend school in either the Southern or the Eastern region of Delta Sigma Theta's uh, mapping. Um, and that's just a preference. 
Um, but you can be from anywhere technically. Okay. Um, but, but, you know, we'll, we'll give more preference to someone that's in those areas. So majoring in the humanities and the last couple of winners have been the first one, our inaugural winner was Howard University. Um, she was a dance major. Uh, Tamia Anderson was her name. And then um, this past year's winner was a music major at the Juilliard School. And Cameron phenomenal. Williams. I listened. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. What a wonderful musician. Oh, I was going to say how it works. So Dref houses the scholarship for us. And so they collect all of those applications and then they forward those to us once the application cycle closes. Right. And Fran and I pick the top we try to do the top three, but the um, applicants were so good this past year, we did the top four. And then we give those to Ruby Dee's family and they choose the winner each year. So they are actively okay. invested and involved in awarding the scholarship each year. Wow, I didn't realize that they were also involved in the selection process. Yeah. They pick the winner. They okay. pick both winners each time, yeah. Typically, how many applications do you get? So the first year, I think we were, um, there were about eight that we were dealing with and which was amazing for the first year mm -hmm. <laughs> because um, I, there are other scholarships that we know about that, um, you know, don't receive any, or they receive applicants, but they're not viable um, for the scholarship. But we've had like really amazing applicants each time. And I think this past year there was closer to 12. Okay applications but again like amazing amazing applications right yeah. right 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 I'm sure I'm sure so once again what is this um, what is the website where they can go and learn about the scholarship so it's um deltafoundation.net deltafoundation.net okay yep. and the proceeds from both books or a portion of the proceeds from both books are are, are, are donation to the scholarship foundation correct correct that's all. And what is the amount of the scholarship? So we award $1,000 each year. It's a little more than a book scholarship, but not, you know, as, as hefty or as mighty as um, some of the other scholarships that are out there. But um, we're, we're very proud of what we've been able to put forward and we have plans to increase it. We want to um, establish the, the scholarship in a way that it can be endowed and that it can um, move into perpetuity. So we're working on a plan for that now. Mm -hmm. You know, and a thousand dollars can go a really long way. It does, they're very excited to get it. <laughs> but we just have, you know, loftier goals for mm -hmm. the stuff. Mm -hmm. But don't underestimate that, right? Because, you know, sometimes a thousand dollars is a difference between me getting certain books or me, you know, getting housing that year getting a meal plan that year or being able to, you know, pay for my computer and I need to replace my computer or getting my computer serviced or, or, you know, paying my student activity fees. So it makes a huge difference. Um, that goes a long way. <laughs> I think a lot of those books now are digital and they're very expensive, they're like a book expensive. $800, right? Very. I'm in the midst of that right now. So I get it. Um, particularly when you talk about like science books or language arts books, you know, Again, I want to talk about, you told me your website, if people wanted to make just a flat donation, right, to the organization, they can do that through the um, deltafoundation.net? You can. So what you want to do, though, is make sure that when you're logging on, 
um, to DeltaFoundation.net that you are earmarking or saying that your um, donation is to go towards the Ruby D Legacy of Sisterhood Scholarship. I know that you said that before COVID that you were traveling a lot with the book as well too. So um, what's, where have you been? Where have you traveled? Oh my, oh my gosh. So um, my, my favorite, so we've been with Delta Authors on tour since 2013. Mm -hmm. uh, it launched. And so we've been to Florida, we've been to um, Tennessee, we've been to uh, Washington, DC, um, we've been to several places in Florida, not just the one, not just one. Um, we've been to Virginia. We've been to Colorado. Oh, wow. Um, oh gosh. I can't name them all off the top. You caught that's me off okay. guard. That's okay. You've been a lot of places though. Yeah. Oh, in California. Oh, we had an amazing time in California. Oh, wow. That's pretty amazing, Nisi. It, it is. Well, I mean, we've had a wonderful run of it. So it's exciting. And uh, coming up this year, um, Books on the Bayou <laughs> is where we're headed in March for Sisterhood Month. So we'll be with uh, the Louisiana chapter for Delta nice. Authors on School. Very nice. Will it be, um, will people be able to view that remotely or? Yes, absolutely. I'll give you the information. It's, it's virtual um, and okay. registration is open and oh, it's free. Okay. Yeah. Oh, even better, even better, right? Um, yeah, please make sure you share that with me because I would love to make sure that I share that with our viewers and our listeners and, um, and then get, you know, get you more exposure and get more exposure for the scholarship foundation. Yay. We That's love awesome. it. I know, I know. So, you know, as we prepare to close, this has been great. And so I really do appreciate and grateful for you. Um, but so I'd love to know, you know, your final thoughts or, you know, a nugget that you want to make sure that people know, not just about Nisi, but about how to get what you want. Mm. So again, I, I think setting the intention and, you know, you can have the best thought in the world, but if your intention isn't good, right, for how you deliver, like, for example, I can want to, um, I can be very deliberate about wanting to be an amazing author, right? But if I am hurting other people who have that same goal, I don't have good intention. And so my project is now not going to be um, as prolific as it should be because my intention is not good. And so I, I think we just have to set the intention for both, set the intention for what you want to do and for how you want to bless others. And then everything that you touch will win, I think. I love I it. Think it's important for people to know. I love it. Is that included in your devotional as well too? Maybe not in that way, but, but um, there's some, some nuggets that are very near and dear to that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So thank you so very much. It's been a, sheer pleasure. I hope that it's been equally as uh, pleasurable for you. Um, <laughs> and I look forward to sharing your story and uh, sharing your journey and your mini memoir with the rest of the world. Thank you so much. Blessings to you always. You know, I love you in a special, special kind of love way. You more. <laughs> and we'll be in touch soon. Okay, Nisi. Take care and be blessed. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the No Good People podcast. Want to share your story? Cool. 
hit me up at nogoodpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Vera Smith-Winfrey. And remember, it's always good to know good people. The No Good People podcast is co-produced by Diana Guzman Productions and So Very Vera Productions. The No Good People podcast can be streamed through Apple, Spotify, and other selected streaming services. Yeah.